Welcome to Shots of Grace Radio, hosted by Pastor Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. At Shouts of Grace Radio, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Today, we're taking a break from our regular format to listen in on a Sunday sermon given by Pastor Steve at Redemption Hill Church. Now, get your Bible ready and follow along. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we're originally going to, we were, we're originally going to start kind of a one, uh, kind of an update prophecy thing. And so as, and then we we're going to go into the book of Mark after that. But what I thought is, you know, not too long into the book of Mark, there's actually something dealing with eschatology or the end times. And so I thought, why don't we just start Mark? And then when we get to that part, we're not redundant and we can just kind of do it then. And so that's what we're going to do. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is kind of more of a, of, of a short introduction to kind of push us off. Um, because this, this is a, just one of them, for me, every gospel is different when you look at it. This one I love because Mark really kind of, you know, we're going we're gonna to look at kind of a little bit about him in a second. But Mark just gives you in the beginning, he gives you some snippets of what the other gospel writers actually share in detail. And then he just jumps in to, to just the power and the healing work of Christ. And so it's just practical Jesus on the ground walking with people. And so, you know, your life will, my life will fit in to some portion of this. But um, it's one of four gospels. It's one of three, what's just called the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. And this one is written by a young man, because Mark was very young um, when he started out. He started out um, in Jerusalem. If you guys remember, in the book of Acts, when Peter is thrown into prison, um, he's thrown in, he's locked down, he's chained down, and we're told that an angel comes and opens up the gates and says, get out and go. Well, when he leaves, he goes back to this house of people that's praying for him. If you remember that story, right? And he knocks on the door and someone says, who is it? Because they're all in there afraid. And he's like, it's Peter. And they're like, it can't be Peter. He's in prison. We're praying for him to get out, you know? And so basically he's answering their prayer. Well, the house that he was knocking on belonged to a woman named Mary. She was um, kind of had the, the hangout in Jerusalem for a lot of the early Christians, and Mary was Mark's mother. Um, you'll, 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 heal, you'll, you'll hear Mark referred to as John Mark, right? His surname being Mark. And John was a very young man when everything started, and he was getting his feet wet with Christianity. And and I love the fact, you guys, I told, I told first services, I love the fact that Christianity does not begin when you turn 21, when you turn the drinking age, right? It doesn't, turn, it doesn't begin when you turn 18, when you become the voting age, right? It is 18, right? Voting age is 18. Well, for some, you don't even have to be alive. Never mind. That's a totally different subject. My bad. We don't want to go there. Anyway, point being, <laughs> ooh, <laughs> squirrel. Uh, <laughs> the point... <laughs> Point being is Christianity begins when a person is ready to walk with the Lord. And I love the fact that young people are included in that. I don't like young people being treated, youth being treated like, well, you don't understand. You know, I, I, I would love to see 
a church where our young people, our youth, are on fire for the Lord, who are being, who understand you can be used by God at the youngest of ages, right? And, and, and I remember having that talk with all my kids, you know, when they turned 13, saying, look, don't let anybody despise your youth. Don't let the church or adults make you believe that you can't use your gifts, you can't be used by God in, in, in a place that, frankly, none of us have access to. We don't have access to the schools. We don't have access to a 15-year-old kid who's depressed and is ready to take his life on a Wednesday night because nobody paid attention to him. You're passing him in the hallway. We don't have access to any of that. And I don't think that we have to surrender a generation simply because they're not of age, whatever that age is. But that means that the church parents are going to have to raise their kids to understand that in a lot of ways, you're missionaries, Meaning that when you understand the gospel and you accept it yourself, you can pray with people. You can, you know, like I said, every one of our kids, when they reach 13, I told them, I said, look, you're kind of reaching an age where this could be the best time of your life. Like, as a parent, I'm not going to, you know, kids always ask, well, when can I date? You know, 16? We don't have rules in our house like that. Here's what our our rule is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength because I'm not going to make Christianity a bunch of rules for you, and your relationship with God will dictate a lot of your freedoms. Not all of them, because some of them we're going we're gonna to keep back, but a lot of them. And, and you see this. I've mentioned this before in Ecclesiastes 8, a great tip on parenting. When the Shumanite woman is being looked at by her brothers when she's young, and they're looking into the future when she'll get older. And they say, what shall we say of our sister once she has breasts? Talking about her maturity. If she's a wall, we'll adorn her. But if she's a door, we will close her in with cedars. Let me put the 21st century spin on that. If she has convictions and she's a wall and she's immovable and she's solid, we're going to adorn that. We're going to encourage that. We're going to build on that. She's going to have liberties and have freedoms. But if she's a door, if she's easily pushed one way or another, you know, if, 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 the, if the wind of culture blows this way and she moves on the hinges, we're going to close her in. In other words, she's not going to have the same liberty. She's not going to have the same freedoms that she normally would. And that's common sense in any parent. Because if your, if your child shows you that, that they got a godly relationship and they show you that, that they can be trusted, you're going to want to fan that flame. You're going to want to, you know build on that. And so I told our kids, this could be the funnest time of your life. You could find yourself as a 14-year-old on mission trips on the other side of the world doing gospel work. Or it could be the worst time of your life. You could find yourself phoneless, which is the worst thing for a kid now, right? Phoneless with few friends because I'll my job as a dad is to make sure you're safe. I'll control who you hang out with if you can't be trusted. So here's the thing, as parents, we don't let the culture raise our kids, we instill in them things at a young age that will make them vibrant when their Christianity starts to take off, before it's 18 and 21, amen? And so I wanna encourage you parents, you know, who have young kids, this is your time right now. You're building them up to be a wall. Because once they reach that age, it's very hard to backtrack, right? 
And so I encourage you to keep doing that. Well, Mark, Mark was a young man, and he lived in a home that was the hangout home for all the Christians in Jerusalem in the early church. So he was around all of them as they all came into Mary's house, right? And so one day when Paul and Barnabas in Acts 12, they come to Jerusalem to give the church a gift, they no doubt go to Mary's house. And when they go back to Antioch, to their home church, they bring young Mark with them. And so Mark is hanging out with two super apostles, man. He has got the, the best you could have around him. If you're going to succeed as an evangelist, Mark, you got it made. You're in the top school with the top people, and they're all training him, and they're a part of him. Well, something happens. When they go back in Acts 13, we're told that the church in Antioch, the Holy Spirit says, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. So they're separated to go on their first missionary journey, and the companions that go with them, one of them is Mark, this young guy. So he's set. Everything's great until they come to this place called Pamphylia. We don't know what happened there, but we do know this. Mark bailed. He said, I'm out of here. I don't want this, and he went home. And when he did, it left a bad taste in the Apostle Paul's mouth because somebody who makes a commitment to put their hand to something. Now, he might have had a legitimate reason. We don't know, but the implication is he didn't because of what the response of Paul would be later. The point is this. There's an expectation, right, that when you put your hand to something, that you follow through with it right? Particularly in ministry. That's why I'm not a firm believer that if people, you know, say, hey, I want to volunteer for something. I don't think the standard for volunteers is different for, you know, for, for other people to church because you're, 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 you're making a commitment to the Lord, right? And I can't think of a greater commitment to make than to him. And so when people don't follow through with their commitment, is that not a pet peeve of a lot of you? right? Like my wife will tell you, you know, we, we don't have like a bunch of marriage problems. We have, we have personal courts, right? That become problems, not problems, uh, opportunities. That's what they say now, opportunities for discussion, right? <laughs> but the thing that bugs her more than anything is she says, when you don't keep your word, when you tell me you'll do something and you don't, and it could be as little as, you know, honey, could you, could you do me a favor and, and empty the dishwasher? Yeah, I'll do it. And the morning comes, and it ain't, and it ain't empty. Like, that breaks her down, because she feels like, I feel like you're just telling me whatever I want to hear at the moment to, to shut me up. And I'm like, well, how come you always approach me? It's like the fourth quarter. There's like a minute half, half left, and it's a tie game. Like, can you wait a minute until it's over? You know? Bad, bad, bad joke for her. Um, the point is, is people want to be able to trust others, Right? And if I were to ask you for a show of hands, how many of you guys that really bugs you, I'm guessing a lot of people's hands would go up. So Mark leaves, and when he does, he leaves a bad taste in the mouth of the Apostle Paul. Well, two years goes by, and Paul comes back from his first journey. Now he's ready to go out for a second, and him and Barnabas are talking about who they're going to take. And so what ends up happening is an argument breaks out between these two. And it's over a person. I want to read this to you in Acts 15, 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, 
hey, let's return to visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord on our first trip to see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take him, the one who had withdrawn or abandoned them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Whatever happened, whatever was the reason for this young man leaving, two years has gone by, and in the Apostle Paul's mind, I can't trust the guy. I can't trust him. He, he's not... He doesn't have the stamina for what we're doing. And the truth is, you guys, when the Apostle Paul took people with him, it wasn't like your modern-day your, your, your modern missionary trips. How many of you guys have been on like a short-term mission, you know, in your life, okay? It, it wasn't like that where you guys talk about, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to fly on Southwest. Maybe, maybe not Southwest, but maybe, you know, we're going to fly on some other airline and we're going to pick out our hotel and this is where we're going to go for breakfast and this is going for lunch and dinner, right? It, it wasn't like that. When you went with the Apostle Paul on a missionary journey, you may not be coming back. Like, like this was the legit deal here, right? You were signing up, like, I was telling first service, what, what, what if we were going to have a short-term mission trip? And, 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 I, and I promoted it this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Check it out. If you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is Paul's promotional announcement for his missionary journey for, for those that want to go with him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 23. He's talking about people that are thinking they're apostles. Are they servants? I'm one better. I'm talking like a man. I'm, I have far greater labors, far more. Here, here we go. Here's, here's, the, here's the announcement. Um, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, in dangers from my own people, in dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in cities, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights. I was in hunger and thirst often without food, in cold, and exposure. Sign up is in the back of the room. Who wants to go? Like, that's how it was. So if you were going with the Apostle Paul, you weren't, you weren't on this, you know, cool little trip to go sightseeing while you're serving Jesus. Your life was in danger. So whatever happened, maybe Mark was exposed to some of that. We know that he was there at least to encounter the false prophet that Paul, you know, went after. Maybe he looked at that and he saw, wow, there's like demons and stuff. I'm out. We don't know. What we do know is he bailed at the thought that he was going to live a life where his trash was going to be kicked and he was going to be imprisoned and beaten and rejected. So whatever Paul was looking for in somebody to do gospel ministry, Mark wasn't it. However, when the apostle Paul comes to the end of his life, right? When he comes to the end of his life, he writes a letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. I want you to read, I want to read you this portion of it. Here's what he says in 2 Timothy 4.9. Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. He's talking about the end of his life. For Demas is in love with this present world and he's deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Christian has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. 
get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Paul began rejecting a young man, saying, I don't want him to go. So much so, he's willing to separate from his friend Barnabas and take Silas, and they went and got imprisoned and got beat. But he ends his life asking for the man he rejected in the beginning. What happened? Why the change? Two important things that I want to look at this morning that took place. Number one, you guys, when Paul and Barnabas had their argument, we're told in Acts 15, 39, that Barnabas took Mark. Paul didn't want him. He wasn't useful to him. He's not really a man. He's really not cut out for this. His youth is too, you know, no, 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 no. I'm going to take somebody more mature. And so we're told there in Acts 15, 39, that Barnabas takes Mark, the same Barnabas that took Paul years earlier. You say, what are you talking about? If you remember, you guys, when the apostle Paul was Saul before his name was changed, he was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He hated Christians. He gave the word for them to be basically killed. And so one day he's, he's, he's you know, on his road to Damascus. You know the story. Jesus appears in a light, knocks him on his back, blinds him for three days. When he gets his sight back, he's saved. He's a Christian. Now his whole life has changed. He's got all this knowledge as a Jew, and so he does what he thinks is the most obvious. I'm the apostle to the Jews. I'm going to the synagogue. So he goes into the synagogue, and everybody's afraid of him. They're all saying, you know, he's talking like a Christian, and all the Christians are like, dude, three days ago, you were like killing us. You, you, th- three days ago, you wanted nothing to do with us. And now you want us to believe that you're changed? There ain't no chance of this, man. No chance. So it was such an uproar that people wanted to kill him. So at night, they let him down the wall in a basket. And he decides to go to Jerusalem, to the church in Jerusalem, where Peter and all the apostles are at. And so he goes there, and he, st- he approaches them, and we're told there that they want nothing to do with him. Nobody believes the guy. Talk about a bummer. You get saved, you give your life to Jesus, and everybody thinks, no way. That's how radical this was. Well, there was a person who came along his side when the apostles wouldn't believe him, and the man's name was Barnabas. You can read the story. And Barnabas goes in, and he tells the apostles he's legit, Listen, his story is real. You can trust the guy. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've heard him talking. And what ends up happening? Because of Barnabas, in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, because of Barnabas, Paul begins to go in and out with the apostles in Jerusalem. Somebody believed the best about him, you guys. Barnabas' surname, or Barnabas' name actually means son of encouragement. You guys, it's so because Saul was disrupting the church. Nobody believed him. In fact, we're told that it was so bad that, that they finally just kicked him out. They <laughs> said, dude, you got to get out of here, man. Like, nobody believes you. Nobody trusts you. And people aren't getting saved because of this, you know? And so they sent him off for 11 years to a place called Tarsus. And then we're told that the church grew and had peace when he was gone. But his name means son of encouragement. In Acts chapter 11, after 11 years... Barnabas goes looking for Paul, outcast, gone, and he finds him outside of Antioch. When he gets to Antioch in Acts eleven twenty three, we're told that he exhorted all of the brothers there, and he encouraged them, stay in the faith. He exhorted them. What does that mean? 
You guys, the word exhorted means parakaleo. It's the word that means to come alongside, to encourage, to teach, to console, to strength, to disciple. It's the same word given by Jesus to the Holy Spirit when he says, and the helper, when he comes, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. Why is that important? Because Barnabas, you guys, was a believer who came alongside the weak. He came alongside the people that the Apostle Paul was done with. The Apostle Paul was kind of this guy that took, it seemed, you know, as you read the the New Testament, he seemed to come alongside and grab people that were seasoned and ready for the work. Come on, we got to go. We're taking the gospel out. Whereas Barnabas came alongside the people like Paul, who nobody loved and nobody trusted, who came alongside of a guy like Mark who wasn't ready to be used, and he was in this place where he was totally discouraged. He's the guy that comes along people's failures, and he encourages them to keep going. He's the one that makes disciples. And when the apostle Paul didn't want anything to do with Mark, that's when he became perfect for Barnabas. And you guys, that's hugely important because in your life and in my life, at some point, you had somebody like that. You can think back in your life, if you've been a Christian long enough, where there was somebody that God caused your path to cross with who didn't judge you for where you were at, who didn't look at your life and the habits that you might have had at the moment, though you had a profession of Christ, but it wasn't completely clean, your life wasn't. And somebody came alongside and gave you a chance. Somebody walked along and and went to lunch with you, and and that turned into a friendship where before you knew it, you were telling them your life, and they weren't saying, well, what's wrong with you, idiot? Let's get going. There's a work to do. They were walking with you. They were consoling you. They were strengthening you. And to do that, you know that takes patience, right? Right? God is patient with us. And so the people that he raises up as Barnabases are patient. Why? Because growth doesn't always come in the amount of time that we would hope it would. Right? I've talked to countless people who have, who have children who, who know, you know, they've, they've, they've heard the message. They've seen it. They get older and they walk away from God. And then they feel like, well, I feel like I'm a, I'm a bad parent or I feel like, you know, because they're doing these things. And, and, and they're quick to judge a person in the moment, in a snapshot of their life rather than the big picture. Listen, nobody here wants to be judged or wants a snapshot of their life at a particular point in time to be their story that everybody sees them through, right? Nobody wants that. Neither did Mark. But the truth is, if we took a snapshot of Mark in his early days, he left the work, he was unfaithful, and we used that as our lens, he would never be used by God ever again because he can't be trusted. But then you get a guy like Barnabas who comes along and he builds character in the guy. He takes time with him. You guys, that takes patience. That means it's not going to happen in the time that you want. That means that if somebody is struggling and you're pouring your life and you're thinking, man, we're turning the corner. I feel like this person's getting it. And then there's a flat on your face season and you go, oh my gosh, they're never going to get it. No, keep going. Keep walking with them. You didn't get it right away. There are things that you still hold in your heart. There are fears that you have. You're petrified of certain things, and they, they, they shock your soul. 
Barnabas kept walking with him, and he produced the character, and that took patience, but it also took a personal investment. One of the things you're going to see in the book of Mark is how many times Jesus touches people. He touches them. He doesn't yell across the room, hey. He touches them, and he lifts them up in their worst, in their sickest condition, in their most contaminated condition. He lets them feel his touch. He gets close to them. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace Radio with Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope that you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If you've been encouraged in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at shoutsofgraceradio.com. At shoutsofgraceradio.com, you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us at Shouts of Grace, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ.